On behalf of my brethren, the priesthood, uh, I welcome all of you to the house of the Lord and do so in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what better place is there than to come into the house of the Lord uh, the first Sunday of this of this year that we might honor and praise and give give thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to particularly welcome uh, uh, get the guests that are with us today. I hope all feel welcome. And that uh, as we uh, remember today the cause of this service, to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's why we are here in this sacrament service. And um, as I uh, pondered the things in which we consider as a start of a new year, I consider how it is the Lord continues to work with his people. And I, um, I find in, the, in his practice, in his, his pattern of life, that there are uh, elements that we consider. Oftentimes, as we go into a new year, we think about the year that has gone by. We're mindful of the year to come. But not to escape us is in the day in which we live. And I would encourage us as we ponder those things anew that we consider for this time and this space as we come together in the sanctuary that we consider our time in remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For a scripture reading, I'd like to share with you uh, these words uh, found in the book of Isaiah, the the 43rd chapter. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, the rivers, in the desert. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth thy praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And I will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father has sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. And I pray as we enter into this time of worship and praise, adoration, and remembrance, that we remember that our sins are forgiven through the the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. As we continue into our time of worship, let us uh, take up our hymnals and turn to hymn number five, which we'll sing, and after which our brother Steve Willie will bring our invocation. Hymn number five.
Our Heavenly Father, truly we do ponder anew the things that Thou hast done for us. And we will ponder anew the things that Thou wilt do for us this year, this being the first sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We are grateful unto Thee for the many blessings. We look forward, our Heavenly Father, to the coming of Thy Son, We pray that we may be prepared in our hearts and in our minds to go and meet him. We pray for our brother Rick, who is to deliver this message today to thy people. May he do so in a way and in a manner that uh, thou would be pleased with. And bless he who is to preside over this service. May he also know the thoughts and the intents of each and every heart here. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. like to share a brief testimony. Uh, Several months back, I had a project that I was going to work on at home, and I had brought home some pallets from work and salvaged the wood off of them, stood it up in the back of the garage, waiting for the day in which I could use it. And a day came when I needed the wood. I walked back there and looked at it, and it was long two-by-fours, and Considering the cost of two-by-fours these days, I thought to myself, well, I should probably save those for something more worthwhile. And then the thought struck me, and whether it was the Lord or His Spirit, but the thought came to me, is this the day in which you're supposed to use them? You know, and then I started thinking, well, this is probably the day the Lord had in store for me to use uh, these pieces of lumber. And so... I used them, and uh, and I considered uh, consider this scripture, and then I'll try to tie it together. And his disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus spake again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the, into the kingdom of God. Now, we're all probably aware of the story of the camel passing through the eye of a needle. And for those of you who aren't aware, uh, when the gates were closed at Jerusalem at, uh, at the end of the night, they would just have this little doorway that would open, and they called it the keyhole. And merchantmen would come to Jerusalem late at night, and for them to get their camels through, they would have to take everything off their camels and the camels, I believe, would have to need, they would have to get them to scrunch down or somehow work them through there. They had to take everything off of the camels. And, you know, riches, when he talks about trusting in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, the Lord's not necessarily talking about those who have great wealth. You know, I stood back there and I looked at those two-by-fours, and I wanted to hoard them, if you will. I wanted to save them. And, you know, in a way, I was trusting that uh, I was wanting to hold on to that which I had and and use it for something more meaningful down the road. Well, how do we know that this day is not what 
the Lord has intended you for, for you, has intended for you to use those things he's given to you. Just something for you to consider. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we stand at the beginning of a new year, and we ponder and look forward with great anticipation to that which you have for us, Lord, we pray that we might give from our hearts that which we have, that we would not withhold anything, but that we would be willing to give that which we have, and even if we have not to give, that we would be willing to give if we had. And so, Lord, I would ask a blessing upon this thy people as they reach forward to give, and more importantly, as they reach forward to partake of that which you have given to them. And Lord, would you please bless these monies that will be collected. May they be multiplied. May they be used in the manner which you have designed, and that is for building up thy kingdom. May all the honor, praise, and glory be thine forever and ever. And we are so grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the one in whom we meet today to partake in remembrance of his sacrifice, even Jesus Christ. Amen. For our scripture reading this morning, I would like to read from John, the 11th chapter, beginning at the 25th verse. Jesus said unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? It was Friday, November the 22nd, 1963, just after 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. I was outside playing in the yard with my, at my cousin's house in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My Aunt Jean called out, boys, come in the house. She had tears running down her face. We sat on the living room floor in front of a black and white console TV. The announcement came over the TV. President John F. Kennedy has been shot. 
Clint Hill, the person assigned to the protection of the First Lady, we could see the TV looping and see these incidents taking place. Mr. Hill jumping on the back of the limousine, the black limousine, shielding Jacqueline Kennedy from possible further threats. We could see Jacqueline Kennedy stand up in the back of the seat of the car in shock, not knowing what happened. JFK was the youngest person elected president, elected at age 34, and the youngest president, president at the end of his tenure. This was my first memory of death. It shocked a nation, and it still does. It shocked me, even as a young child. I don't like death. Death makes me sad. It makes us lonely. It makes us miss our loved ones. For me, the worst thing as a child was to see my mother crying. I didn't like it. Although it was 59 years ago that my grandfather died, the memory of that of sitting in the middle of the back seat of my car, about their car, our family car, my brother on one side, my my sister on the other, and I was in the middle, leaning over the front of the seat. We had just left the funeral of my grandfather graveside, and my mother, my mother was weeping. I'd never seen her weep before, and I'd never seen her weep after that. That was my first and only time to see my mother weep. She had her hand, her face in her hands. I don't like death. Our fear of death is also used by tyrants and despots and tyrannical governments to keep the people under control, enslaved, and obedient to their commands and demands. And yet, and yet, it was the death of Jesus on the cross that sufficiently provided for our redemption. It was His shed blood that effected our own cleansing from sin as we find in 1 John 1 and 7. As he hung there on the cross, he took the sin burden of the whole human race upon himself. He became sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. According to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. This imputation of sin helps us understand Christ's struggle in the garden of Gethsemane with the cup of sin that he asked to pass from him. We find in Matthew the 26th chapter, the 39th verse. As Jesus neared death, he said it is finished. John 19 and 30. His suffering in our place was completed. Because of his death, we are here today. We will reach out our hand and take of his broken body and his spilt blood. That's why we're here. Because Jesus died for us. 
Romans 5 and 12 says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And in verse 19, As by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that is Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. The, the scripture I just read proves to me, it proves to every Christian that the earth is young. Irregardless of what you hear in science, irregardless of what you hear of the ungodly, that there's billions of years old, it's not. The scriptures are true. You can trust them. From Genesis, the first chapter, you can trust them. It is the holy word of God. The apostles quoted from it. Jesus quoted from it. You can trust it. The earth is young. Because there was no death prior to the curse. Do you understand that? There was no death prior to the curse. When Adam and Eve ate of the took of the fruit, the curse was placed upon the earth and upon them. He said, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Death entered into the world. The curse entered into the world. We had to work and sweat for our food and our livelihood. There was no death prior to that. It began at Adam and Eve. And it's been in the world since then. Romans 8 and 1. 8 and 1. There is therefore now <clears throat> no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Arthur Oakman is correctly described by historian Robert Ben Madison as a towering figure in RLDS history. By revelation given of Frederick M. Smith on April the 7th, 1938, Arthur Oakman was ordained an apostle and was in the Council of Twelve, as mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 137.2. He was given the responsibility of leading the European missions and presided over the 1939 conference in Germany. History records that on his way to the conference, he was arrested by the Gestapo and questioned about RLDS doctrine on the second coming. But he and his companions were released. I have listened to many of his sermons, but of his ministry, the one that has affected my life for the best is his Lecture 5 of the endowment series. And more particularly, his testimony of the stranger, that is the angel, that visited and told, that he told at the end of his lecture. However, I believe that the last paragraph of this testimony, if you're looking at the printed version, may often be overlooked. I've memorized that testimony verbatim, this song that he sang, this begone unbelief, my Savior's near, and for my relief, will shortly appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. It's my favorite. It has, been, it has kept me within the bounds. My 11-year-old granddaughter went played they went bowling the other day. She told me, I said, babe, how'd you, how'd you do? She said, well, I needed, I needed the, the, the uh, uh, 
what do you call them? The gutters or something. She kept throwing gutter bars, bottles. And so she needed the barriers, the barrier. That's what this testimony has done for me. Oftentimes it has been my barrier. Kept me straight. I've gone back and looked at it and listened to it countless times. Listened to that testimony of Arthur Oakman. You can listen to it. It's online. Like numerous places. Centerplace.org and different, different sites. It's a blessing. It's the Holy Spirit. Angelic ministry to us here on this earth. And keep in mind that four years before this testimony this, that I'm about to read of this last paragraph, the Oakman family had been visited by a man, a stranger, an angel. And that visit changed the rest of their lives for the better. For each of them, Arthur's father, his mother, himself, and his sister, it changed their lives. It is short, and I want, to, I want to read it in Arthur's own words as he spoke them. And this is Arthur speaking. I well remember when my mother was on her deathbed in 1918. We moved to another part of town into a better home where father could hold cottage meetings. He was a priest in the church, still talking in the background, the consciousness that there was another member of our family somewhere. We did not know who he was. And he's talking about that, the angel. Then when she lay dying, talking about his mother, his mother was lying, lying she was laying dying. I went to the doctor's place to get some medicine for her. And while I was there, one of my boyhood chums came in and told me that his mother had just died. And I ran all the way home as fast as I could and burst into the, my mother's bedroom, even though she was gasping for breath and dying. I didn't know it. I said, Mom, Skinny Allen's mother has died. She said, son, you don't. You don't need to worry. Your mother won't die. And child, like I said, how do you know? She said, you remember that man that came to see us when we lived on Garfield Road? I said, yes. He just came to see me. She said, and, and he told me that my sickness wasn't unto death. It was unto life. There the lecture ends. What does she mean by that statement to her 13-year-old son? Because she died. The stranger told her her sickness wasn't unto death, that it was unto life. I want you to remember when you reach out your hand and take of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that the Christian will never die. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us by taking our sins upon himself. You won't die as a believer. 
You have given your life to Christ. I heard it said one time, say, you can't kill me. I've already given my life to Christ. That's what we do as Christians. We've already given our lives to Christ. And we come here today to, to acknowledge it. When you reach out your hand and you take of his body, everybody can see you. You're making your witness. It is in faith that you do that. You haven't seen him, most of you. Some of you may have in vision and dream. They're gifts. You can. But you're witnessing in faith that you believe in the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that he died for our sins, and that he sits at the right hand of God, and that he'll come again, that we'll see him and we'll know him. And 10,000 times 10,000 years, we can be in his presence, glorifying his name, living on streets of gold, praising him day and night. Do you look forward to that? Do you believe that you'll never die? When you breathe your last breath here, you'll breathe your next breath there. In the presence of the Almighty God. We do not minimize the grief of those left behind. I just received the Buckner Restoration Branch text messages. One last night about 7.15, one this morning. Another two passings. We're constantly, because of our technology of today, we're constantly being told about those that are sick among our people. And we pray for them. I, I, get, I stop and I'll pray for them right then. What name is that? It's the sister and the brother and the cousin of who? And, you know, you just, you stop and pray for them. That the Lord hears our prayer. He's always with us. He sees everything we do. hears every word we say. He guides our footsteps. Many of us are all too familiar with loneliness and separation from our loved ones. It is in this grief that we can find solace and peace in Jesus Christ. If we trust in Christ, we will find peace. I lost my father this year. Back in September, September the 19th, my father passed away. My mother's been gone for a decade, a little over a decade. I don't like separation. I don't like death. But it was through death that we are saved. The death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ brings us here, brings us today to this communion service. Imagine that you are visiting a hospital. You cannot find a parking place close to the hospital, so you park way back. And now, way back so far that you get out of your car and, and you don't know where you are. You're lost. Finally, you stop another driver in the lot to ask directions. And he kindly says that he will just park beside you. And then you walk together where you need to be in the, to the hospital. It's one of the best days of your life. How would you have gotten there except this guy parked next to you and walked with you? Now suppose that you get to the front door of the hospital and find out that the man is actually the chief surgeon of the hospital. And as you near the door, he adds, oh yes, there's my parking place. Right here, next to the door. He had a superior advantage because of his status, but in respect for your need, he did not take his rightful parking spot, but walked with you the whole way. 
Let me ask you, as he was walking with you, did he stop being a doctor? Of course not. Did he have a parking place? Yes. He had all of these things. And at any time, he could have laid hold of those things and used them. But for your sake, he chose, chose not to do so. In that particular moment, as thin as this illustration is, it shows that Christ, walking among human beings, did not mean he was not God. That didn't mean he was fully God. If Christ was to override his humanity, he would not have been fully in the form of man and therefore could not have fully empathized with our weakness or save us from our sin. The incarnation was not just an event at Bethlehem. The incarnation was the moment-by-moment choice of Christ to lay down his privileges and lay down the rights he had as God and to acquiesce to ungrateful sinners every second in order to affect our salvation. He loves us that much that he, according to Philippians 2 and 6, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in Alma 19, chapter the 97th verse, And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore, God himself atoned for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy to appease the demands of justice that God might be a perfect, just God and a merciful God also. Well, in conversation with the man, I asked him, do you think you'll go to heaven? Just that, I don't know what made me ask it. It was within the conversation. I thought I could ask that. He said, yes, I've tried to be a good person. I've been baptized. I've taught Sunday school and I've donated to charities. According to him, he was a good person because of these things. We read in 1 John 1 and 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. How good do you, I would ask, how good do you have to be to go to heaven and stay there? Just how good do I have to be? What does a holy God require of us? What does the scripture say? Matthew 19 and 24 says, Jesus said it is easier as the scripture was read for the offertory, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Mark 10 and 15, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter into heaven or enter therein. John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. 
Some, these are just some of the requirements. Also, and that we, in Acts 14 and 22, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Have you had enough tribulation? Do you qualify? Or will you stand there and look at Jesus Christ and say, because of him, his, my sins are on him. He, he finished it on the cross and took upon him my sins and has declared me righteous. I am justified by him to stand here, to be here. I will always be a sinner until the day I stand before God and I am glorified. Let me end as we began. Jesus said unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? Preparation, let us uh, now turn to hymn number 269, 269. Remain seated.
In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has prepared great things for you in this new upcoming year of 2024. It has been a good day to this new start of the year, this new beginning. May you turn your eyes upon Jesus. May you keep your eyes upon him. And we will see the salvation of the Lord. Let's close our service by singing hymn 431. Father who art in heaven, 
We have counted it a great joy and privilege to gather into this, your sanctuary, this day. And to remember that gift of thy only begotten Son, who left thy courts of glory and that came upon this earth and walked upon this earth and hung on that cross, that uh, we might have that opportunity to come back into thy presence one day. So, Father, we thank you so much for this great gift and that a father that loves us so much that was willing to give his only begotten son on our behalf. And, Father, we're thankful for that kind and gentle spirit that has moved amongst us this day. It has bore witness of the Father and the Son and has edified and strengthened and have given us great hope. And so, Father, as we depart this place this day, may you go before your people. May you place that hedge of protection around them in their daily walk. May your spirit be with them. May they continue to look upon thee. And, Father, we uh, so anxiously wait for the return of thy kingdom, even Zion. And so, Father, may we be those people prepared to be citizens in that kingdom. And so, Father, this is our prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.